Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. Hey, if you didn't receive uh, one of these um, estimate of giving cards, pledge cards, um, either in the mail or on your way in. Make sure you grab one of those on your way out. Um, they're on each of the tables. We'll talk a little bit more about that uh, as we go today. As we lean into our, um, our text this morning, we're going to be in Mark chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, um, I encourage you to pull those out. Mark chapter 12. As we continue our sermon series, Rooted and Grounded, I, um, uh, as I was kind of praying over this, this message uh, this week, um, God kind of put an image into my head from, from our vacation uh, a while back. Uh, we were up in, in Yosemite and, and Sequoia National Park, and, uh, and we saw this crazy tree, this sequoia tree, growing around a rock. Um, and I, I think it was a beautiful image of what it means to both be grounded in our faith on a solid rock and rooted together in fellowship. This idea of an intertwined root system that we talked about last week. What does it look like for us as the body of Christ to be, to be founded in our faith, to be the foundation of who we are and the way that we interact with one another, to be in faith, the solid rock of Christ, and that our roots might be intertwined together as the body of Christ in fellowship Today, we lean a little bit deeper into what does it mean for us to be called to operate in stewardship? What does it mean for us to operate as followers of Christ in stewardship? Uh, if, if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 12, uh, we're going to dive in. Uh, this, is, uh, this is towards the, the last third of Mark's gospel. Mark, um, I love the way that Mark uh, kind of sets up his his gospel, um, if, if the beginning of the gospel starts with, uh, with this, the ministry of Jesus, where he's kind of calling his disciples and teaching his disciples what it means to be a follower of Christ. He, he's leaning into them at the beginning in the, the town of Galilee, kind of the city, the area of Galilee, the region of Galilee. And then um, there's two chapters in there in the middle, actually three chapters, eight through 10, where we see this, like, this journey, this, this road to his final place, which is Jerusalem. So it's broken into three parts. One through eight is in Galilee. Eight through 10 is the road to Jerusalem. And then we see in our text today, they are in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, this is the climax of, um, of Mark's gospel. This is the climax of Jesus's ministry especially at the end of the gospel, at the end of Mark's gospel, he is beginning to compare and contrast these two competing ideas of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of the earth 
versus the kingdom of heaven and saying there's, there's something very different in contrast between these two things. And so we're going to kind of lean into that. Just before this, we have, we've seen Jesus come into, into town riding on a donkey, um, juxtaposed to the king riding in on a, a stallion, riding in with a parade. Jesus rides in as a humble servant on, a donkey, on the back of a donkey. We see just before this, Jesus entering into the temple courts and realizing that the, the space that was meant for the Gentiles to worship, the religious people have taken it over so that the Gentiles have no place to worship God and they've made it a, a money-changing station, a place for them to exploit those who are coming in from all of the other regions for the Passover feast. And Jesus, in righteous indignation, flips over the tables, right? We, we know that story you see, Jesus is beginning this, this intense conflict. He's stirring the pot in these last days uh, of his ministry. We see that, especially in our text today, contrasting these, these uh, counter understandings of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth. So in Mark chapter 12, we get to this story, starting in verse 41. If you have your Bibles, Let's turn there and let's read. But before we do that, let's pray, to, pray together. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you meet us in the reading of Scripture? God, would you illuminate this text for us so that we might know and understand the context of it so that we might uh, be better stewards of the life that you have called us to and the life that you've given us. We love you, we praise you, we honor you above all things. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said... Amen, amen. Hey, uh, so the, the scripture will be up here on the screen. I encourage you each week to bring your Bibles though uh, because oftentimes what happens is you'll see a scripture that we go through, but there's a lot of context that happens before and after that scripture. And so uh, as we show a scripture up here, it's good for you to continue reading uh, in your own Bibles kind of what, what's happening around that. Um, it's good for you to underline some things and, and highlight some things and maybe make some notes in your Bible of the ways that God speaks to you through the reading of scripture. And so I just encourage you, bring your own Bible, use it um, in this space, and you can take that back with you and kind of process through as well. Um, because this is not where the, the, the journey ends, is here on Sunday morning. You're meant to kind of wrestle through scripture as well in the rest of your week. So Mark chapter 12, 41 through 44. Notice the contrast in our scripture today. So Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but the poor widow came up in two very, and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Then calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put everything in, all that she had to live on. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So now you're probably saying, oh no, it's that sermon right? It's, uh, it's the sermon on money. Uh, you start to kind of slip out. I got to use the restroom and sneak out of here because there's something about when Jesus starts talking about money that we kind of squirm a little bit. 
This always happens to be the week that you brought your friend to church, right? (laughs) Where the pastor gets up there and teaches on money. Well, you're kind of off the hook. Kind of. Because as we look at this passage, this passage that seems to be very pointedly about money, as we look at the context of how Mark uses this text, we understand that there is a different, a deeper meaning that Jesus is trying to speak into his disciples through this, this imagery, through this illustration. And so as we look back at our text, we can see a few things. One, contextually, this, is, this happens right outside the, uh, the court, right in the court of women. Um, so there would be a, a court of Gentiles uh, where uh, the threshold, no Gentile could pass in worship. And so uh, then there'd be a court of women in which uh, no women could pass this place so that they could go into the court of men. Outside of the court of men, um, there would be a, um, what they call the the temple treasury. And it's 13 like trumpet-shaped bowls that are made out of brass that were each one was for a different kind of offering. There'd be um, an offering for the poor. There'd be an offering for, uh, for um, the, the temple uh, sacraments. There'd be a, a, an offering for, for different things. Um, each, each of the 13 stood for a different thing. And so... People would come up with their, these are, these are actually like extra offerings. So it wasn't like your tithe would go into this space. This would be like your above and beyond kind of giving to the temple. And so people would come up to this place um, in kind of a public display of, I've already given my uh, duty and now look at me. Now look at my generosity, Right? And so they'd come with this big bag of coins and they'd pour it in metal coins into a, a big brass trumpet and it would make, as you can imagine, a, a pretty loud sound. And so they would slowly pour their bag of, of coins into this so that it would reverberate around the temple courts so that people would know somebody's really generous. Somebody is, is really putting a lot into that space. And then, and then, a poor widow comes up. We don't know much about her story. We don't know her background. We don't know what's happened recently in her life, how long she's been a widow. We don't know her state, but we do know that she's poor and that she's a widow. And we know a couple things about widows, especially that it is the call of the community of, of God, is a call of the church to look after the widow, to give to meet her needs. That was primary in Levitical law, that the orphan and the widow would be cared for upon the, the death of parents or the death of the, of the husband. We know that that is very important. And so this widow walks up and she puts in two small coins, probably not making a whole lot of ruckus in the trumpet bowl. She gives these two coins called a widow's mite, a lepta, which um, is said to be valued at six minutes of a day's wage. Six minutes of a day's wage, not a whole lot. 
that's not going to do a whole lot in the greater scheme of the life of the church. But what Jesus does here, the thing that we know is that he, upon seeing this, he pulls together a small group of people, what we know as the disciples. So this gives us a, a, an understand, a little bit of an understanding as to what the point of Jesus's interaction with this woman is. The first thing that we see in this text is that this is a call to discipleship, a call to give all. If you were to, to give advice to the woman, to the widow, you'd probably say, don't give those last two coins. You need those. That's not very wise or not very prudent for you to give of your last two coins in the offering plate. Why don't you take those and buy some bread for yourself? You don't have much left. But what Jesus highlights in this is the very message that he had recently taught his disciples on the road to Jerusalem. You see, on the road to Jerusalem in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, he told his disciples that if any of you would come after me, if any of you would follow me and be my disciple, then you must give everything. I think we had that text up here on the screen, Matthew chapter 8. If any of you would come after me, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And he comes to this moment and he highlights one thing. She gave it all. He was very clear to say all. That everything that she had, she gave. Now, if, if this message was about money, about how the disciples ought to handle their finances, he would say at the very end of this, now go empty your pockets and give all that you have into the plate. But no, he was very intent. He was very intent to leave it at that. She gave everything, all that she had. This, this, my friends, is a call to discipleship. You see, Jesus knew that if they weren't willing to give all that they had, that this thing of Christianity wouldn't happen. He knew what they were about to experience. He knew that, that when he died and was resurrected, that there would be great persecution amongst the Christians. We see uh, Stephen get stoned in Acts and die for his faith because he was willing to give all. Not just financially, but his life. Every part of his being. This is a call to discipleship. If the disciples didn't get this, nothing else worked. Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, wrote a book called Cost of Discipleship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is known for his role in, um, in the, the assassination attempt plot on um, Adolf Hitler. He was part of, part of the, the German um, kind of government in uh, the Third Reich and uh, was very um, against all that was happening in, in, these, in these times and um, rose up to say, 
we have to do something about this. This doesn't align with the call to discipleship that Christ gave to us. If Christ was here, he would not be okay with this situation and um, gave his life for that. In his book, Cost of Discipleship, he said, discipleship is not a following of Jesus, but a being taken hold of by him. I love that distinction. It's not just a, a, a rote follow, mimic the actions of Jesus, but it is allowing our hearts to be, to be uh, grasped and taken a hold of by, by the very person of Jesus, by the love of Christ. That we are allowing ourselves in discipleship to be taken a hold of by him. Church, what does it look like for your life, for all that you have to be taken a hold of by God? For God to to grip your heart in a way that leads you to irrational decisions by the world's standards so that you can step into faith. The second thing that I think we see in this text, if we look back at the context, if we look back at the contrast in this passage, we notice that the contrast is not actually within that passage kind of played a trick on you uh, because the context is found for this passage is found in the passage right before it that we didn't read. The second thing that we see uh, about this, this text is that it calls us to shift our perspective on what we have, what we have been given. You see, in the passage right before this in Mark chapter 12, verse 38 and through 40, we see Jesus interacting with, uh, with the the righteous with the, the religious leaders, the, the teachers of the law, the scribes. We see him stirring the, the pot in, in conflict with them. You see, it's important when we read uh, the Gospels, especially, knowing that these Gospels were written some 40, 50, 60 years after Jesus uh, walked the earth. These aren't new stories to the people hearing these Gospels, to reading the Gospels of Mark. They've heard these stories in, 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 in telling time and time again. What's significant when we're reading scripture is that is what is around, what the author puts around that text, rearranging some of the stories in order to, to tell a message. And so uh, we can never, never fully understand a single passage in isolation because the author is doing something specific by what he puts around, the stories that he puts around each text. So right before this, we see in Mark chapter 12, 38 to 40, he says, as, as he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law, for they like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and places of honor at the banquets. They devour widows' houses and for show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. You see, what's happening here is Jesus is contrasting these teachers of the law with the widow. You see, he never condemns the person um, in, the, in our text. He never condemns the person that gave a lot. We don't know anything about their heart makeup. We don't know anything about their intentions. We know what kind of often happened in those situations, but 
Jesus doesn't outright condemn the people who gave a lot. The people he condemns is the people who have been given authority, who have been given the places of honor, that have been given these, role, these significant roles in the life of the church and consider them their own. Use them to lord over others, to, to wear fancy clothes, to, to, be, to be given honor in, the, in their lives, to, be, um, to even, even oppress the very widow that they are called to serve. You see, what they would do is they would, if a widow would, would lose her, uh, her husband, if a woman would lose her husband and become a widow, uh, oftentimes the, her financial uh, gains, her, her, her means of income would go out the door with her husband. And so she would uh, lose the ability to pay for her home and she would be foreclosed on. Now, it was the responsibility of the, the church to look after her, to, to help her uh, to keep up that payment to provide for her the role of the community when fellowship breaks down. And what they would do is they'd foreclose on the woman, putting the woman on the street so that they could have this asset for the church or this asset for them. Jesus is condemning their action. What this passage is the call to stewardship. That which we have been given, it is our Ours to, um, ours to steward. We understand this as parents, right? Uh, a steward is, is put in charge of the master's possessions. Right? When we give our kids a phone, it's not our kid's phone. No, it's our phone that our kids get to use. And as soon as their, their actions, their stewarding of that phone fail to meet our expectations, we pull it away. All right, I knew this very, very, uh, very clearly when I turned 16 and my parents gave me a car. And the moment I didn't get the grade that I was supposed to get or the expectation that I was supposed to get or uh, got a speeding ticket, that car was, was very quickly removed from my possession. See, we are stewards of that which is given to us. Wesley wrote a great sermon called The Good Steward. And it talks about how we are, that everything that we have, from our mind to our hands to our tongue to even the breath in our lungs is not our own. In fact, it is a gift of God. He calls the believer to take account of all of the things that he has, all of the things that he can give thanks for in his life. And how are you using those things to further the kingdom of God? He says your mind, how are, you, how are you using your mind to think and to process the world around you for the kingdom of God? How are you using your tongue to, to breathe life back into the community, to, to encourage others? This is your stewardship of your tongue, stewardship of your time. When you have downtime, are you flitting through your phone looking at uh, death scrolling and Instagram? Are you using that time to honor the kingdom of God, to bring glory to his name? How about your authority? How about the positions that God has put you in as, as a father or a mother, as a, as a leader on your team or as a, a, a supervisor at work? The authority, the position of leadership 
is what Jesus is calling out in the, in the teachers of the law here. How are you using that which has been given to you? How are you stewarding your families in discipleship? How are you stewarding your hands? How are you stewarding your home, the space in which you live for radical hospitality? How are you stewarding that which you have been given? How are you stewarding your income? See, Wesley leaned hard into money. Because he knew, he understood, just like Jesus did, that, that our finances are a litmus test for our souls. And so as I, he leaned into stewardship of our, of our resources, of our finances, um, he, was, he was very harsh to, to help people to understand the dangers of riches. He even has a sermon all about the dangers of riches. He believes that if we are truly faithful to steward all that we have, then we ought to be frugal in the way in which we spend our money. That we ought to be um, diligent in the way in which we earn money. If we are good stewards of our hands, good stewards of our minds, then we ought to earn a lot of money. If we are good stewards of our spending, we ought to save a lot of money. And so he says, if we are truly good stewards, we ought to be developing wealth as the body of Christ. But he says this in response. He says, gain all that you can. Save all that you can so that, so that you might give all that you can. You see, he understood stewardship, the the blessing of of receiving money as you are the first in in a chain of blessings to receive that same money. That it may have been given to you so that you might give it to someone else. That I'm using you as a conduit for the, other, for the rest of the blessings that that same, same deposit might make in the world. So they, though it may be given to you, it is not yours. And as I look back at, at kind of my own life, my own story, I think oftentimes I have a hard time believing that that's not mine. I mean, I worked, I put in money, I put in time, I put in investment, that's, that's mine. What Matthew six twenty four says, what Jesus tells us is that no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and, and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so as I close with this and invite the band to come back up, I want to remind us, church, that discipling, being a disciple, is not just following Jesus, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer said but it is being taken hold of by him. How do you use the things in which he has given you, the story in which he has given you, the the time in which he has given you, the hands, the ability in which he has given you, the, the witness 
that he has given you. Money is part of it, but it's only a small part. It's about the posture of our hearts to say everything that I have, all that I have is a gift from God. How may I steward it? Friends, I ask the question, who has a hold on you? Who has a hold on you? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we lean uh, heavy into this, uh, this idea of stewardship, recognizing that you, you want and, and deeply desire to use us to be a blessing to the world. God, help us to be good stewards of the gifts, of the graces, the wisdom, of the funds, the finances that you've given us. God, may it be a litmus test to our heart the way that we use what you've given them. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we uh, come together and serve...